Hi, and welcome to the Northridge Vineyard Evening Community Podcast. We're a church community in Sydney, Australia, who are passionate about pursuing God together and seeing the world changed by His love. We hope this message challenges and inspires you. For more talks and other resources, please visit our website, www.northridge.org.au. Hey everyone, how are we all? Good? Welcome to a new series. Woo! Um, Can I just point out how cool Exodus was? Exodus was such a good series for me. I thought, like, it really challenged me. Um, I hope it challenged you too. For those who who weren't there for Exodus, it was like this, I think it was eight weeks or ten weeks? Ten weeks of going over Exodus, um, pretty much following Moses in his journey and what God did and how he called into that. It was awesome. So good. So if you want to listen to that, check out the podcast on the website. Really cool. Anyway... New series. As you can see, this series is called Life on a Mission. What is Life on a Mission going to be about? Well, how the series is going to work is we'll have two individual talks about what mission is and what it looks like to start off. And then following on, we'll have a couple of weeks of interviews with some amazing people from our church and what their take on mission is. So I'm very excited for this series. Anyway, tonight we're going to cover a more individual look of life on mission. Now, what is this mission? I'm sure many of you already know what mission is, but I'll briefly go over it for those who are unsure. To put it bluntly, mission is following Christ's call that he gave to us. There is a passage in Scripture in Matthew called the Great Commission, where Jesus says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always, to the very end of the age. He also says earlier in Matthew, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, drive out demons. So pretty much spread the gospel and heal the sick, right? So if I were to ask you what mission looks like as a Christian, what would you say? One of the first things that may come to mind is being a missionary or going on a mission trip where you go out to those communities in third world countries, educating them about Jesus, doing physical labor for them, and ultimately serving them in any way, shape, or form. Or sometimes it's a bit more local and you're serving people right down the road. You wouldn't really think of mission as working at an office desk or being a student at school or uni, would you? Of course, missionaries and mission trips are a significant part of God's mission to the world. However, it is not everything. If our identity in Christ is a renewed purpose to be God's image bearers on earth, then absolutely mission is something that we all need to be a part of. So where is our mission field? It's every aspect of your life, whether that means in the slums of Cambodia or in chemistry class. God has put you there for a purpose, and that purpose being to spread God's incredible love to change the world. With that in mind, we're going to look at a passage from Colossians. Um, Just to give you a little bit of context, this book was written by the Apostle Paul as a letter to the Colossians, specifically the Church of Colossae. This was written during one of Paul's many imprisonments for announcing Jesus as the risen Lord. Paul had never met this church before, Nor did he actually make up the church community. The church was actually started by a co-worker of Paul's named Epaphras, who was actually from that city. Pretty much, Epaphras visited Paul in jail and updated him on how the Colossians were going. Overall, the Colossians were doing pretty well, which is great. They had been totally faithful to Jesus. They were showing love for God and their neighbours, 
all because of the hope they had in the new creation that Jesus had in store. Fantastic, right? However, Epaphras also mentions that there are some cultural temptations that were leading them away from Jesus, one of the main ones being mystical polytheism, which is the worshipping of many gods. It was as if Jesus was just kind of like slid into all the other Roman and Greek gods that they were also being worshipped. This is obviously not what Jesus had in mind. And so Paul in this letter is saying, hey, you're doing really well, just stop doing all that stuff. So to keep you from doing all this wrong, I'm going to remind you of who Jesus is, what he did for you, and how he wants us to live our lives. I like to think of it as the Colossians are on this diet, and they're doing really well. They've been eating healthy, exercising, burning calories, until Grandma rocks up with this (laughs) double-layered, triple-choc cake with, like, chocolate sauce, oozing down the side, and the Colossians are just like, oh, actually, I wouldn't mind having me a slice of that. And then Uncle Paul's at the back like, no, don't eat that, don't eat that. It's not good for you. Look at all the benefits of this diet. So yeah, have that in mind when we're reading over the passage. Um, The passage that we are going to have a look at today is an example of how we can missional in a very ordinary setting, which is family. So now, could you open your Bibles to chapter 3 of Colossians, verse 18, titled, Instructions for Christian Households. I'm going to get up myself. Alrighty. Paul writes, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will, re- will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Right. There's a lot here. Now, I'm going to say a couple of things that I believe God has revealed to me whilst reading this passage, as well as this whole book of Colossians. I'm aware that this passage has been a little controversial in some aspects, and realize that there are many questions that might arise when talking about this. Hopefully, if I do this right, I'll be able to answer those questions with what I believe Paul is trying to say in this passage. Right? Cool? Excellent. The first thing that really sticks out for me is the family model that Paul uses in this passage and what a Christian household should look like. Let me tell you, for the Colossians, this family model is weird. It's scandalous to them. At the time, the family model was based off what the Roman household looked like, which was a highly authoritarian institution where the male patriarch held the power of life and death over the wife of his wife, children, and slaves. Sounds great for the head male, but for everyone else, it sucks. It sounds awful, right? Paul flips this first century Roman household on its head and says, in a Christian household, the male patriarch is not the lord of the house, but the risen Jesus is the lord of the house, where everything is done for the Lord Jesus. So for those who don't know, I come from a family of six. 
made up of myself, two awesome loving parents, and three not as loving siblings. Um, <laughs> but, but they'll do, they'll do. Um, we're a pretty crazy family. Uh, there is always something happening at our house. It's like organized chaos. It's great fun, and we all seem to get along all right. Being a Christian family, we try to run our household as Jesus wants us to. My mum allows dad to become responsible for her because the Lord calls her to. My dad is subject to Jesus by loving mum and placing her well-being above his own. In our home where Jesus is Lord, we, the children, are not objects but are called to maturity and to respect. And my parents are to raise us children with patience and understanding. Can you imagine what our family would look like if we didn't have Jesus at our top? Our family might look like this. <laughs> this, this is not okay. And neither is this. And certainly not this. But instead, a Christian family is meant to look like this. Christ calls us to be in a family where we put him first and us second. In this passage, Paul also makes reference to slaves as a part of this family. As a slave, listen, as a slave, listen respect and work for your masters with purpose because he has called you to do so. Now, I know some of you are like, um, Peter... Newsflash, we don't live in a society with slaves. What am I going to do with this information? Obviously, we don't have slaves in today's society in Australia, and thank God for that, although it can still apply. We all have someone who gives us jobs to do, gives us orders, and is, some, and is someone that we answer to. If I'm at a desk at an office job, it's not free for all. You have jobs to do that are given by a person in a higher or similar position in business than you. And if you don't do it, you might get fired. Similarly, at school or uni, you have teachers and lecturers that give you work to do. You can't just say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do my own thing. Because you'll fail, right? You've got to do it, even if it might suck. There'll be a time when you will be given work that you do not want to do. Everyone will. So do you just not do it or try to avoid it? Or do we listen to what Paul says and obey? In today's society, I think we are like the slaves and our bosses are like the masters. So in your work, as Paul says, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. I love that. Sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord, like a deep deep respect for the Lord. Do not work to please your bosses or teachers. Do it to please Jesus. Give your everything to them with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Obey your boss or teacher because of the very fact they are not your real master, but because Jesus is. Clearly, if your boss says to you, hey, let's go murder someone, you won't because we honour and follow God's word above all else. If you are still concerned about submitting to your boss or teacher, I want to let you know that Jesus, as a man, submitted to the law of the land and the authority of government of the land, as shown in Mark 12, when the Pharisees were questioning Jesus about paying tax. 
There are other verses that illustrate the concept of God putting people in authority or at least allowing them to be there and us being called to honour them in that role, but that's not what we're going to talk about tonight. So I'll leave, I'll leave you guys to talk about that in your own time. The next thing that I want to point out is the emphasis on love towards other people and not ourselves. You can see that in this passage that each role of the family is doing some kind of action towards some, another role. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents in everything. Fathers, do not embitter your children. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. I think this passage really highlights the sacrificing of your own needs for a functioning family household, a focus on others instead of yourself. This, for me, is what love is really like. Actually, this sacrificing of your own needs for others seems very familiar, right? In fact, I believe there is a particular person of the Bible who perfectly replicates this kind of sacrificial love for other people. Oh yeah, it's Jesus! He's the one who died on the cross for our sins. The ultimate sign of love for us. The ultimate sacrifice. So when he calls us to love one another sacrificially, he is referring to the kind of love that he showed when he was on earth. That is how we're meant to love one another in a missional context, by giving up our self-centeredness and focusing on others' needs before our own. Now, the last thing I want to mention from this passage, I think, really sums up this illustration of the Christian household, as well as how this fits in with our call to mission. It comes from verse 23 and 24 from this passage. It says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. If you take nothing from this talk other than these verses here, I'd be happy. These verses, I believe, perfectly summarize what mission for a Christian is supposed to look like. Giving your all to the Lord, no matter what you do, whether it's working, eating, talking, sleeping, exercising, relaxing, do it for the Lord. I think we need to be more like bees. Here are all the reasons why. Number one, they are black and yellow. Black and yellow is a cool color. Have you imagined being black and yellow at the same time? It'd be pretty cool. I don't know. I think that'd be pretty cool. Number two, they can fly. I don't know about you, has everyone had the superpower of where you wanted to fly at all? Yeah, exactly. Bees are cool and they can fly. I want to fly. Let's be a bee. Next. They have an incredible sense of smell. I looked this up. They had 170 different odorant receptors, which is like they can smell things really well from far away, which can be like a good thing, and it can also be a bad thing as well. But it'd be also cool to have that incredible sense of smell. Next thing, they are brilliant boogiers. Like, bees can dance. You know, there's like a thing, they do like a waggle dance. I'm not going to show you. But they do like a waggle dance to like show other bees where the food is. Imagine being able to dance and people will be like, yep, he knows where the food is. That would be so cool. That would be so cool. And the next, they listen to their queen bee. Their queen bee tells them what to do. I don't have no responsibility. The queen bee will let me know. One queen runs the whole hive. 
Her job is to lay the eggs that will spawn the hive's next generation of bees. The queen also produces chemicals that guide behavior of the other bees. And all those other bees, they do what the queen says. They do their job as a bee, not because it satisfies them. They do it for the benefit and survival of the colony. And guess what? It's the same with us. Whatever you are doing, do it with all of your heart. Not for human masters, not for yourself, but for Lord God himself. I'm going to tell you some more fun facts about bees. I'm really going to push this bee analogy. So did you know that honeybees have been producing honey in the same way for 150 million years? Did you know that a bee's buzz is the sound made by their wings, which beat 11,400 times per minute? I didn't know that. Now I do. Now you guys know. Did you know that honeybees must gather nectar from 2 million flowers to make one pound of honey? And that the average bee will make only one-twelfth of a teaspoon of honey in its lifetime. One-twelfth of a teaspoon of honey. That doesn't seem like much. It's not much. You spend your entire lifetime working, buzzing around, collecting pollen, making honey, for just one-twelfth of a teaspoon of honey to show for it. But when there are thousands to hundreds of thousands of bees producing honey, the amount of honey produced increases dramatically, doesn't it? Imagine if we did the same when speaking the good news of God. It may not feel like much. Oh, it's just one conversation with one or two people. It's not much. It's not much. But when we all contribute and work together as brothers and sisters of Christ, we get closer and closer to what God has called us to accomplish. It's that honey. My goodness, wouldn't that be incredible, yeah? The whole concept of living our lives on mission as a community is something we're going to go into a little bit more next week. To finish up, I want to leave you with what I believe are three key elements in living your life missionally. The first one is being who God created you to be. Wherever you are in the world, whatever you are doing, do it first to God. The second is be yourself in that. God created you fearfully and wonderfully to be you. Not to be the person beside you, but to be you. Finally, ask God. We are in constant communication with God through prayer. So ask him to show you where there is an opportunity day to day to bring the word in his kingdom, which is essentially what mission is. I feel like God wants to say that like we all have different scenarios on where we work. I understand that we all come from different places of work. And so it might be harder to kind of live on mission all the time because of what situation you're in. I just really want to say to that, um, I think we've just got to change our mindset of what work is. I think if we go in with a mindset of that, I'm going, instead of going into work, I'm going in to worship. I feel like work for God is also another form, another form 
of worship to him. I really want to, yeah, encourage you guys um, to keep that. So I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to pray now. Yeah, dear Lord, thank you that you are good. Thank you that you have got us wherever we are, whatever situation that we might be in, Lord. Lord, help us to live missional lives, Lord, that we may be going out and telling other people about you and loving one another, loving one another more than ourselves, Lord. Lord, help us to live missional lives in our secular lifestyle, Lord. Help us think of you all the time, Lord. Amen.